This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Squarespace. If you've got big plans for this year, Squarespace can make it easy to turn your idea into a unique website, showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds with just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use offer code SNELL to save 10% off off your first purchase of a website or domain. The Incomparable, number 391, January 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and it is one of our draft episodes now. I love Doctor Who. It's great. Uh, I've been watching it since I was, uh, like, seventh grader or something, something like that. I watched The Power of Kroll and somehow was still interested in Doctor Who after that and became interested in the show. So, uh, and you know I love drafts. Everybody who listens to The Incomparable knows I love drafts. Well, we're going to put them together right now. No, we're not drafting doctors. That would be silly. We're drafting Mm -hmm. something sillier than that. Stories from Doctor Who's 50-plus years on television. And joining me to draft, uh, what what a spectacular assembly of Doctor Who fans that I have with me here uh, on this episode. James Thompson is here. Hello. Uh, a pleasure to be here for uh, my first draft, indeed. Ooh, we've got a first drafter. Liz <gasps> Miles is also here. Liz, are you a first drafter, too? It is my first draft. And now I really want to do a draft of Doctor Who Monsters. Oh, that could be a future episode. It was so. I guess this is the day that I introduced drafting to Scotland. <laughs> yes, yes, that uh, is true. Th- that is excellent. Um, let's see. Who else do we have here? Alyssa Frankie is here from uh, This Week in Time Travel. Hello. Hello, and I'm also a first-time drafter, so uh, if Chip hasn't sabotaged me by giving me the wrong rules, this should be fun. <laughs> uh, what are the chances that, that your co-host uh, has sabotaged you? Well, we'll find out. Uh, Erica Ensign is also here from many Doctor Who podcasts, including Verity and Lazy Doctor Who. Hello. I feel like my entire life is one big Doctor Who story draft. <laughs> Now that I'm mentioning people's podcasts, I should mention James does not have a Doctor Who podcast. Uh, yes. But Liz is also on Verity, so Liz does have a Doctor Who podcast. Yay. Uh, Chip Sutterth has a Doctor Who podcast, which is the aforementioned This Week in Time Travel, and he's the co-host who we hope gave Alyssa the proper rules. Hi, Chip. I pick Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, and uh, he has 80 Doctor Who podcasts, Stephen Schapansky. I have two. I have two, maybe three. Come maybe, on. Maybe three? <laughs> maybe three. Yeah, it depends. Uh, active versus historical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or or on hiatus. But yeah. one of them has been going for like 106 years, so I could see why you'd confuse that, that for I just counted multiple times. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. how that works. It does work. By the way, that order in which I introduced our uh, our panel, that's the order, as selected by random.org, that will be the draft order for this episode. And of course, I, as your host, will go last because it's only polite. <laughs> and with that... We begin the picking. The first round begins with James Thompson. Well, um, I'm going to kick things off, I think, by picking a new Doctor Who story, one that was only just released a few weeks ago, which I watched in its entirety for the first time just today. Uh, written by an up-and-coming sci-fi author, one Douglas Adams. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to be picking Sharda, the Paul McGann, Lala Ward, Big Finish audio drama. I'm not going to be picking Sharda, the Gareth Roberts <laughs> novelization as read by Lala Ward. 
I'm going to be picking Sharda, the actual Tom Baker finished version from 1979 slash 2017. And not the VHS version that was bridging material. No, not the VHS version missing stuff. The DVD version that that came after. Let's list all the versions of Shada now that James is (laughs) up in this box. Levine's version. Well, what this version does have uh, is it has actual new Tom Baker who has filmed a a scene in the TARDIS, uh, which comes at the end. Uh, but yes, I mean, so to go back on this, it's, I read Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency when I was young. And I, I'm a big Douglas Adams fan, which is, uh, well known. And I, I was aware of Sharda as this missing episode, uh, or missing story. And I listened, I think it was first to the Paul McGann, uh, version. And I was listening to it and I was thinking, Wait a minute, this is just Dirk Gently. Because uh, <laughs> you had Professor Cronotus, who has a time machine, which is his room in his Cambridge University and, and all this. And I was, I was thoroughly confused. And I, of course, I, I, for some reason had missed the fact that, uh, Douglas had basically just stolen lots of plots from unused and bits of Doctor Who that he'd written to make Dirk Gently. So I came at this the wrong way around, but I, I watched it today and, and it's, I really like it. I mean, the, there's, there's bits in it. I mean, it's worth it for Skagra's fabulous outfit, really. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it has like bad, uh, special effects uh they went for the the old invisible spaceship saving the budget uh <laughs> approach love it uh it's got the wrong voice for k9 um mm. many things like that uh but it's got you know the the there's a great scene with the doctor arguing with a computer and saying like because he's dead therefore the computer should obey his orders and, and i i love that kind of stuff and it it's got some very douglas adamsy bits in it um and you know great uh acting i think throughout it and it it's just really nice to see it all sort of put together they've sort of the missing scenes that they've redone with animation where they had the the original cast in who have done the the new voices uh for it and it, and it works um and yeah the i i i sort of may there may have been a tear at the tom baker scene at the end I feel like this is the ultimate version of Shada, except it won't be because at some point somebody will decide to reanimate it with lifelike CGI yeah. that looks exact. They will use machine learning to make it look exactly like it would have looked. And they will all look like Peter Cushing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that, that's the 2025 version ship. The 2035 version will be much better. Mm. And they'll just keep releasing a new Shada. Now they've got the audio tracks for everything. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that they're, they're sorted, yeah. All right, Shada, the, of course, the draft begins with an episode not actually aired on the BBC, <laughs> but, uh, but it was shot and then finished later, sort of, many times. And so I, I will accept this choice, James. I, I bought it from the BBC. So yeah. <laughs> that is not what qualifies it, but fair enough. Liz, it's your turn. What is your choice? Hello. Um, it's, it's very difficult. I'm so nervous right now. It's literally Why? everything ever made for Doctor Who, it, except for Shada. My, my, I, I, all right. Okay. I mean, from the choices. Um, I think for my first one, I'm going to go for one of my very favorite stories that hardly ever gets talked about. Um, partially because it doesn't, uh, the visuals don't exist anymore. So my first choice is the Patrick Triton story, The Macro Terror. 
<laughs> wow. Why, the deep cuts is... are coming out thick already. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what that means. The whole week leading up to this, I was joking. I'm not going to pick something like the Macro Terror that no one has ever seen. Liz goes second pick well, people overall. people have seen it. Pe- people have seen it. People they have only, seen yeah. it. In 1967, they saw I it. I have yep. seen it, so... I yeah. want to compare, though. James chose a, an episode that didn't air, but is now available, and you've chosen an episode that did air, but is no longer available. So that's, <laughs> that's right. Right. I think what we're seeing here is people from Scotland are, are just awkward. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, casual Doctor Who oh. fans. <laughs> All right, the Macro, the macro Terror. Uh, tell me why. The Macro Terror is a second Doctor story from uh, season four with uh, Polly and Ben and Jamie. Uh, who don't have any full stories still existing as a team, alas. They are an absolutely charming team together, even though there isn't je- there isn't really quite enough story for all three of them at any point. Uh, but the Mac- in the Macro Terror, the three of them, four of them, even arrive on a future human colony that's very cheerful and happy, and people sing and clap and dance and are so delightful and happy with each other. But sadly, that is the veneer for there's actually a bunch of giant crabs underground controlling everything, um, which is As one of do. the main selling points initially for me for the Mac Terror is I absolutely love the monsters in it. I love it when stuff is giant something and giant crabs are just absolutely delightful. Um, it's got a whole load of marvellous moments that are some of my favourite Doctor Who moments of the Doctor gets very cleaned up and tidied and then it's very upset at his appearance and then ruffles everything all up again. But (laughs) Polly is quite taken with how he looks after that in a marvellous moment of flirtation between the two. Um, We also have a Highland dance in this. I think it's the only Doctor Who story, the Highland dance from Jamie, to provide a distraction and a getaway, which is marvellous. The main guest star is played by the marvellous Peter Jeffrey, who I (gasps) talked about also this week. Because he's the main, he's the villain in the Androids of Tara, and here, here he's a much nicer person. Here he's just being befuddled by the giant crabs and slightly confused by them and not realizing what the problem is. And um, I think, I think the main thing, the the, the sort of fundamental reason that I, I love the story is that it's one of the most anarchic, anarchic yes, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> stories that they are in on the part of the Doctor. The Doctor here is a sheer force of disturbance and disruption and overthrowing for the good of the people here. He is so angry at authority and advocates essentially authority by its very nature should be questioned and you should always do that and ask it to constantly justify itself. And that just delights me. Um, And I think this is probably the purest expression of what the Doctor as a character means to me and how I think he should be, what I think he should be like. All right. The Macra Terror. I I like how Liz said that she likes the giant crabs. I also like giant (laughs) crabs with a giant thing of butter. I think that's very good. (laughs) Giant crabs. Mm. Uh, Alyssa, it's your choice. Shada and the Macra Terror off the board. So it's pretty much wide open for you. Well, I'm frankly amazed that I even got my first pick because I looked at the order and I thought Liz is before me. Oh, dang, I'm really not going to get to choose uh, my favorite episode. I'm but, not uh, going to be a caricature here. <laughs> <laughs> I have layers. <laughs> I, it's just you're the only other person I know in the world that likes this episode. Oh, so uh, there, there's a whole group of us <laughs> to introduce you with the secret handshake. 
Oh, good. Uh, the time monster um, is. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! What is happening? What is happening? <laughs> we are in the bad place. Don't let them diss you. You, you, you go. Go for it, Alyssa. The time monster. Explain. Explain. Mm-hmm. Explain. <laughs> it's kind of peak third doctor. Like it's everything that I love about that era in this delightfully silly episode. Um, it's just a sheer delight to watch. It is my comfort food episode. Um, it's one of three canon explanations for what possibly happened to Atlantis and <laughs> Doctor Who, um, which is just kind of ridiculous and hilarious. Um, and it's sort of peak unit family of they're all there. They're all uh, having so much fun. There are petty insults and fights happening between all of the characters, including a incredibly petty fight between the master and Sergeant Benton, in which they both <laughs> shout, that's the oldest trick in the book at each other. Um, there is bureaucratic infighting. Um, there are ridiculous costumes and hairstyles in Atlantis. Um, and there's also Dr. Ruth Ingram, who is uh, one of my favorite uh, side characters in Doctor Who. She's one of those characters that's supposed to be the annoying women's liber, uh, who I love enthusiastically and unironically because of that. Um, she has a great moment where she gets to tell Sergeant Benton to just stand there and look p- pretty, uh, which I will always admire and treasure her for. Um, and it's just sort of peak petty fighting between the third doctor and the master, which includes a fight in which the master literally puts the doctor on mute. And <laughs> Joe Grant has the opportunity to mock the master for being speechless when they arrive, you know, unexpectedly alive in Atlantis by saying, you know, don't you just want to say curses foiled again? Uh, so it is just a sheer delight. And if you like the Third Doctor era, it is going to be a wonderful episode to watch. And if you don't really like the Third Doctor era, then this is probably like nails on a chalkboard for you. So I apologize, but I love this story. Everybody gets to love what they love. All right. The Time Monster is chosen. Erica, it is your choice now. I am kind of gobsmacked at, at the way it's gone so far. And I was... I have I have four stories that I really, 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 really want, and I just assumed that at least one of them was going to be gone mm-hmm. by the time it got to me, yep, so that me it was going to make my choice easier, and that has not, not happened. happened. Nope. So now I'm at a loss. Um, <laughs> so uh, do, I, do I go and, and pick the one that everybody expects me to pick first? No. You know what? I'm not going to. So there. <laughs> uh, instead... I'm going to pick a story that I love very much, a story that is incredibly long, so there's a lot of it to love, and that is the second Doctor story, The War Games. It's actually the last story of uh, Patrick Troughton's era, which is just... There's so much to it. Um, to describe exactly what's happening, it, it doesn't sound nearly as entertaining as it is. It's a, it's some, some not so benevolent folks uh, acting out their their own war by taking soldiers from other parts of the galaxy, basically just stealing them and having them fight out in like exactly what it's called war games uh, against each other and the doctor of course stumbles into the middle of this with jamie and zoe and uh, chaos ensues and there's an awful lot of like you know back and forth there's there's uh world war it's world war one right it's not world war two mm-hmm. 
yeah, World War One. There's some some you know much much more old timey fighting, and and the part that that gets me the most is uh, is there are a, a couple of, of characters. You get you get the war chief and the um, the the war lord, and the war chief. It turns out is actually a time lord, although we haven't heard that, heard that word used. But he is—he's from the same planet as the Doctor, and they recognize each other. And I think that moment is one of my <laughs> favorite moments in all of Doctor Who history, because up until this point, the Doctor's home planet has only sort of been just like you know, it's—it's—it's it's not focused on at all. The Doctor is—is—is is, is traveling. He can't go home for whatever reason. We don't exactly know where he's from. It's just all this fuzzy backstory that's not exactly important until you get here and you have this moment of recognition between the doctor and the war chief and it's the first time that we get any hint that of, of how the doctor actually feels about his people and then you actually get to see them at the very very end in the in the last episode of this 10 part story um and and they like you it gives you an idea of why the doctor ran away from this society and it makes perfect sense because the doctor is this he's such a carefree uh, character. He wants to travel. He wants to learn. You know, the first doctor, maybe carefree isn't the first word that you would think about to use uh, to use to describe William Hartnell's doctor, but he definitely is interested in stuff and wants to travel and wants to learn. And that's the kind of thing that these stodgy time lords uh, that you finally see at the end um, are are not they're they're not about that. They just they just want to sit back and and be powerful. And it it actually has I think one of the most tragic endings of of all of Doctor Who in that uh, they take Patrick Troughton away from us, which is awful. Oh. Uh, and it's not by <laughs> choice. And they force him to change his face. And uh, and Jamie and Zoe are sent back to where they came from, having their memories wiped, which kills me. Uh, but. But other than that, that part that just makes me very sad. It's it's really really fun to watch. You get to see Patrick Troughton being, I think, just doing some of his best work of of all of the of all of the extant episodes that that exist. Um, he's he's fantastic, and I love the war games. And I was very much afraid somebody else was going to take it, so I took it. Wow. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. uh, I was concerned as somebody with uh, twice as many new series stories as classic series stories on my <laughs> list. I was concerned we might uh, have too many, and I am no longer concerned about that and i'm feeling better about what's still on the board for me to take i'd like to take a brief break to tell you about one of our sponsors this week support for the incomparable this week coming in part from squarespace if you're ready to start a new business uh the new year is here we are in 2018 what are your plans for this year what do you want to do you can do it with squarespace squarespace has beautiful templates they're created by world-class designers uh web designers are brilliant at what they do and squarespace has hired a bunch of them and they've built these amazing templates and you just get to use them you don't have to be a brilliant world-class web designer you get to take advantage of their skill in building your website you can showcase your work blog or publish content even sell products and services e-commerce you can do it just a few clicks with squarespace and you can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products and it's all optimized for mobile right out of the box so it's going to look great on a phone so much traffic comes from mobile now these templates look beautiful on desktop computers and laptops and phones 
and tablets. They look great everywhere. Use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow in real time. You can see who's using your site and what they're doing on it. And best of all, there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. You don't have to worry about what server it's running on and what software is running in the background. It's just Squarespace. You just do what you want, and that's it. If you do have any questions, Squarespace has an award-winning 24-7 customer support team to help you through whatever problems you're having. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. You can give it that website. You can make that dream a reality through Squarespace. Of course, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Snell and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code Snell. Thank you, Squarespace, for sponsoring The Incomparable. Chip, what do you have? Well, anybody who's listened to me on any podcast knows that the 10th Doctor is my doctor and Russell T. Davis is my showrunner. So I am absolutely going to turn into the skid and I am going to pick the 11th hour. <laughs> what? Oh my god! <laughs> oh boy! Gotta see everyone's drafting so far. This is, is amazing. This is the weirdest every, thing ever. Yeah, every story has been on my list. <laughs> One of the things that, as I was going through my god awful long list of potential draft picks, which I'm astonished that nothing's come, nothing's come off yet because yeah. everybody's just. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> um, aside, for, aside from my love for The Tenth Doctor and uh, Russell T. Davis, I also love New Beginnings. And The Eleventh Hour is one of my most exuberantly favorite episodes of them all, even though it was the episode right after uh, what for me was my, my peak love affair with the show. Because... Stephen Moffat, it's 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 the first episode of season five. It's his first debut. He's already had a cracking minute and thirty minutes worth of uh, of just exuberant Murray Gold infused uh, joy with the with Matt Smith's first scene in the previous episode. But Moffat's got this balancing act that he's got to do. He's got to make sure that the people who have discovered and loved Doctor Who for the last four years plus specials will stick with the show while doing his own thing. And it is it, it is in some ways the best RTD episode that Davis never produced. It is um, just just this one scene in the 11th hour when uh, the doctor says that he's commandeered a vehicle. Oh, he says over the phone he's commandeered a vehicle and he's on his way to the rescue and you cut and he's stolen a fire truck. Um, <laughs> you know, there is so much joy, so much movement. Um so much pace and energy as a former Doctor Who director would have put it. Um, it it revitalizes the series and um, and probably between that and the fact that Doctor Who had a proper home in the U.S. Uh, on BBC America for the first time um, at, at, is probably the reason that Doctor Who went from being a popular a popular enough uh, piece of nerd culture in the U.S. to proper pop culture in the U.S. So the eleventh hour, it's 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 delightful from top to bottom. Wow, that's I mean that that has been the the default 
like where should I start for a, a while now in terms of somebody new who wants to try out the the new series? When I every time I revisit a chip, I love the first twenty minutes, and then I often will skip to the end because there's a middle bit in there that is I, it's slower pace. It's not bad, but it definitely like the first. I I could not love the first twenty minutes of the eleventh hour more. I I really could not. Then it's an episode, and it's and it's not you know at the top of my list for that reason. But I the, the what a great way to introduce a new uh a new era and a new doctor than the way that the 11th hour does it it's amazing there's so much there's so much mood to it um there there are camera sherlockian uh camera tricks and humor it's it's recognizably the same show and yet it's not all right, the 11th hour, the new series has finally been chosen. Uh, St- Stephen, uh, I don't even know what's going to happen next. <laughs> well, surprise uh, me. Everyone, everyone has had the courage to uh, to go off the board. Uh, I thought I would have to go off the board, given that I was picking, what, fifth, sixth here? Um but no, I'm not. I'm steering right down the right down the middle of the line, and since it's not it's it's not going to last another round, I think without getting picked. So I am picking Heaven Sent. Yeah. Oh. See, that's why I did it. That's why you had your chance. You had your chance. You I figured that the Macro Terror mm-hmm. probably was going to be around for another round there, Liz, and uh, <laughs> the Time Monster maybe not too, but. Um, given given by the groans uh, that I heard, I imagine that uh, everyone here knows why it's so good. It is it is a master craft masterpiece of television filmmaking that director rachel Tyler is so proud of um and justly she, so oh yes or the it was the two-year anniversary of its broadcast and she was retweeting all the praise that she uh, heard and, and and i faulted her not one jot for it because it is amazing it's um it is when i first heard about it i thought oh this is going to be interesting i wonder how this will work uh and then i and then i saw it and i realized that it it would work even better than i imagined i i I, the the, what's what crystallized it for me because i think i had a uh, access to a preview copy so i watched it a couple days early and then uh i watched it two or three more times for the podcast and this was happening at the same time as a convention in chicago chicago tardis and so i'd seen it about three or four times because i enjoyed it that much but i'd kind of like started like you know have everything sink in but they were showing it that night at the convention because it was premiering on bbc america so they showed it there in front of a huge audience and next to or perhaps in line with watching the day of the doctor with an audience on november 23rd 2013 that was my favorite experience watching doctor who ever when at the very end when peter capaldi punches through the wall and says you know that's one hell of a bird huge amount of applause when the the camera pans out at the very end and it's gallifrey that he's on like just huge reaction and it was just uh it was it was an emotional experience it's a brilliant episode it's not an easy episode to watch it's not carefree viewing like the time monster for instance <laughs> but i i i hold up uh you know um classic who uh, to a very high standard because i've grown up with it and i've become used to it but but in the two years that heaven sent has uh is there, since it's aired it's uh it's up there it's it's up there as one of if not the the greatest doctor who story i've ever seen it's a difficult it's a challenging episode a one-hander um it, it, it's complicated um it's but it's those episodes 
that the the people who are hardcore into the series really really love but they also deepen and enrich the series uh to for for future generations it lifts up i think the whole i, I think it lifts up the whole show I, I think it'll get i think it'll be be more and more appreciated as it ages as well i think it yes. is kind of like a fine wine like in 10 years time we'll look back and there'll be a huge like retrospective on heaven sent <laughs> right. and everyone will look back and go wow that was an amazing thing i mean the music the acting everything is just completely top-notch all right i i had i had seven stories on my list that were the very clear seven that i wanted to choose the most and only one was chosen in this entire round. That's right. It was the Macro Terror. Nope, that wasn't it. <laughs> you only say that sarcastically because you haven't listened I to haven't, the Macro Terror. I haven't. And then it'll go on there. It'll be the eighth. There's almost no doubt that that's the case. But it was it was heaven sent. So good job, Stephen, in sniping one of the choices on my list. And I am left now to choose. I thought I wouldn't. This is just... Uh, uh, what everybody else has been saying, I thought I would not have to choose that this would not reveal something about my ranking system because I would just choose the best remaining of these and they're all still there. And <laughs> I, I was worried in the first four picks that my choice was going to be boring because it is so uh, positively regarded and discussed. Um, I'm, I feel better now that the 11th hour and heaven sent have been picked just before me because those are, I think often discussed as great episodes of Doctor Who. Um, so sorry to play these into the stereotype here, but I'm picking Blink. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was on my list. Too. It is the most obvious choice. And yet it is also, that's why it's at the top of my list. It's obviously the one that I wanted. I kind of can't believe I got it. It is, it fulfills uh, it, it, the rewatchability index. There are some episodes on my list that I don't rewatch a lot, because as Stephen said, it can be some of them are brilliant, but it can also be a harder watch. Blink is like comfort food. I could just watch Blink. I, I, I mean, I seriously could watch Blink all day just on repeat. I, I love it. I, it has a lot of things that uh, we have come to know as Stephen Moffat has run Doctor Who for many years now um, and is about to, to go off into the sunset uh, that we recognize now as Stephen Moffat's uh, trademark moves. But at the time, especially, they were not as well known. So they're more surprising. And I would argue also that um, he's he's been uh, forced to try and top himself uh, with with uh, by going against his moves and doing counter moves and I think the original really stands up. Uh, it is strange because this is a Doctor Light episode. It is uh, it is primarily about Sally Sparrow, um, who is. It's not bad when your <laughs> random uh, guest star is an Academy Award nominated actress or to be, um, and her twisty, turny uh, time travel kind of interactions with the Doctor and the Weeping Angels, which are introduced in this story and are very creepy and. And uh, we don't know anything about their powers so that, that it's much better than, you know, the more we know about them, maybe the less the less awesome they are. I know that's hard <laughs> to believe, but I yep. think I think it's true. And um, and then the uh, the scene where she's being picked up on by the by Billy, the cop in the parking garage and and she turns away and gets a phone call and it's him in his deathbed in the hospital as an old man. And he says it's you know, and it's it's the same rain. It was raining when I met you. And she says it's the same rain. I, that gets me every time. It is such a sad little moment inside this other, uh, otherwise kind of twisty, turny, uh, strange episode. Um, 
And uh, I like the end when the doctor and Martha show up and there's a, you know, there, there's a monster that they're fighting, but she, uh, that Sally Sparrow needs to hand him a folder to explain what he needs to do in order to help her down the road. Um, and there's a little romantic subplot in there, too. And I love Blink. I know everybody talks about it and says that it's great. I'm not sure I would argue it's the best thing to introduce somebody to the show with. But as an episode of Doctor Who, I can't. I mean, I think it, I think it's beloved for a reason. So I have to pick it. It, it worked for me, although uh, describing it as comfort food is always interesting for me because that's the first and only so far episode to actually give me nightmares. Mm-hmm. I, get, yeah. I think I gave my son nightmares, too, when I showed it to him. But, <laughs> but I, I, it's great. It's great. So there. Yeah. Boring. Blink. There it is. Whatever. Of course. <laughs> this episode of The Incomparable is also sponsored in part by Casper a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptional and comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. What is a sleep experience, you may be asking? And the answer is you lay down at the end of a long day and you're comfortable and you sleep well. And I've had a Casper mattress for a couple of years now and I've had a good sleep experience. And you can too. Casper offers three different mattress models. The original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. They're all perfect designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. There's a breathable design so you can sleep cool. It regulates your body temperature. We no longer need a, a uh, down comforter in the winter, which we used to use because uh, Casper does a better job of regulating our body temperature as it is. We don't get too hot. We don't get too cold, summer or winter. And a Casper mattress comes right to your door in a little box. It's bigger on the inside, maybe? It's the Doctor Who draft. I had to say it. Free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada as well in case you uh, it doesn't work out. There's no risk to you. You can get it back to them. A hundred nights sleep on a Casper mattress. Up to a hundred nights risk-free. If you're afraid that you're going to get a weird internet mattress and you're not going to like it and it's going to be all pokey or lumpy or weird, whatever... Don't worry about it. Get the Casper mattress, lay down on it. If you don't like it after one night, five nights, 20 nights, 50 nights, it's fine. They'll take it back. And I think you're going to like it. You spend one third of your life asleep. That is where you need to have a good sleep experience, right? $50 toward select mattresses. You can get that offer. You can save $50 towards select mattresses by doing this. Go to casper.com slash Snell and use the offer code Snell at checkout. That's my name. Casper.com slash Snell, offer code Snell. You'll get $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you, Casper, for sponsoring The Incomparable and giving me an excellent sleep experience. All right, let's move on now that the ad is done. To the second round, James, uh, you have Shada. What next? <laughs> well, so I was explicitly told uh, before the recording of this that I am not allowed to pick the Curse of Fatal Death. Correct. The, uh, the <laughs> ultimate in Stephen Moffat foreshadowing, writing an Indeed. episode that touches on themes of new Doctor Who. It's all in years there, people. Before, years <laughs> before the show had even been renewed. Mm-hmm. So you've got to give him props for his uh, foresightedness there. So I'm I'm not picking that because I can't. You're not allowed. Um, I'm also not going to pick uh, <laughs> classic draft strategy. Draft strategy. Talk about what you're not picking. Are you sure you haven't done this before? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to pick Time Crash, uh, a similar short uh, Stephen Moffat story, only eight minutes long, a bit more towards coupling than Doctor Who, really. Um, but it's the uh, it was the children in need uh, scene where uh, uh, David Tennant meets Peter Davison's Doctor. 
And my favorite thing in all of Doctor Who, as you'll see from the rest of my draft picks, is uh, multi-Doctor stories. But I'm not going to pick that. What I am going to pick is The Night of the Doctor. Um, Now, this is another Stephen Moffat. All of these are Stephen Moffat. And this is only seven minutes long. But I pick it because it's a glimpse of what could have been. Because Paul McGann's big Finnish audio stories are absolutely excellent. And I've listened to all of them. And in my head, he's a proper full-fledged doctor. You know, some people have only just seen the, the movie. And I like some things about the movie, but it's it's not the best. But the, the big Finnish audios are great. So when he appears in this with the line, I'm a doctor, but probably not the one you're expecting. I was just <laughs> so happy. And this whole thing, it has, you know, it's seven minutes. It's got all this great dialogue packed into it. And you have the reaction, like it builds up the standard Doctor Who rescue story. And then you see the reaction of horror to the TARDIS by Cass, because the time war is going on, destroying the whole universe. And she won't let the Doctor save her and indeed would rather die uh, than go with him. And uh, we have the return of the Sisterhood of Khan. Um this makes some of the big Finnish companions like Charlie and Lucy canon, or I claim that it does. Um, <laughs> it makes their names canon, at least. It makes mm-hmm. their names canon, but, you know, I'd like to think that all those stories happened. And uh, it, they like they give the, the Doctor the choice of becoming a man or a woman when he regenerates. Uh, so there's all these little bits in here that have been sprinkled in it. And, yeah, it's just seeing Paul McGann doing a sort of modern Stephen Moffat dialogue story. It just makes me, well, it makes me sad that we never got that. But, you know, his stories at the time, if he had done a whole season, wouldn't have been as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, it just makes me hope that at some point in the future, maybe we'll get a, a multi-doctor special with Paul McGann cropping up in it and getting more than his uh, seven minutes that he gets here, because I think he deserves it. All right, Liz, it's your turn. Oh, gosh, it's so difficult. Isn't it hard? <laughs> yeah, there's just so many stories that I love, but I'm trying to judge it on ones that I quite like to talk about that I don't usually get a chance to talk about for whatever reason. and. Oh, it's hard. Do do I just pick another Trout and Lost story? <laughs> hey, they're really good. Some of them, okay. It's not. It's not just to be difficult. Um, okay, uh, I'm going to pick something a little outside my general comfort zone in the interests of I don't know layers, layers, and not being a caricature of a person. Um, my next story is going to be one of the beigest of doctors that I know is very popular. Yay! among certain fads who have no <laughs> taste. Um, and I would like to pick Kinda, which is a fifth Doctor story in Peter Davison's first se- season uh, with uh, Tegan, Nissa and Adric, though Nissa is in it for at yeah. least three minutes before she gets knocked out mm-hmm. and goes to the thingy. And mm-hmm. it is an absolutely Stunning story that's beautiful and uh, hopeful and also very dark and scary. Um, it's uh, they land on a planet, uh, Deva Loka or Loki, Loka or Loki, Loka, Diva Loka, yeah, Diva Loka, uh, which is um, where there's a human colony and there's also the native 
uh, Kinda, and the humans are sort of um, faffing around trying to study the Kinda uh, in a delightful example of colonialism that's um, not going entirely their way because the Kinda are not. Well, it's it's. I'm not entirely sure what the right way to put it is. Anyway, they're on this planet, and uh, Tegan falls asleep in the jungle. Uh, and then has one of the most terrifying Doctor Who sequences that there are on film, where we see inside her nightmares slash other realm that her mind's gone to with these bizarre uh, manifestations of death slash the villain of the piece, which is the Mara. And they have the most terrifying conversations. They're playing chess about how she doesn't really exist. And then another of their people come along and convince her through terrifying, slightly mad means to give them possession of her mind because that's the only way out of this strange, dark void that she's found herself in. Uh, and that she therefore brings the Mara into the world, which is going to herald the destruction of everything in a very uplifting kind of way. Uh, meanwhile, the Doctor has discovered himself a new companion who's only there for the one story, which is very sad. Uh, Todd, who's one of the, the colonists and a scientist uh, who's helping him out for the duration. And um, and in the delightfully um, made set of the, of the colonists or scientific survey team people, uh, one of them's going quite mad. And the most sort of terrifying and vicious descent into madness that we we see in Doctor Who with with poor Hindle, who uh, goes goes increasingly scary throughout the story as uh, he sort of descends into uh, a psychosis. That's I think the the best line in it is you can't mend people, which is delivered. I don't know what the right word is. Delivered with a, a terrifying convincingness. Um, that sort of kind of speaks to his his terror that he's broken beyond fixing and stuck the way he is. Um, there's the I think the whole thing is incredibly directed. There's there's an especially gorgeous sequence which is the the apocalyptic future, which is is one of the druggiest trips in in all of Doctor Who of um, fire and death and the Mara destroying everything and um, a jester going a bit crazy. And the whole thing is just beset by this absolutely ridiculously sophisticated dialogue um, in terms of, of, of Doctor Who. And uh, yeah, and there's a giant snake, which I quite like because it's a thing that's giant. There is a giant <laughs> snake. I see the theme. Yeah. That's right. I don't like a giant snake with a giant thing of butter. No, definitely not. No, not good. Don't, don't mm. eat snakes with butter. No. Anyway, it's, it's a beautiful Buddhist allegory for the most part about sort of death and life and death and it, it really is it's, it's there's nothing really well obviously there's snake dance which is a bit like it but not as good um but there's really nothing else like it in doctor who and i just i just find the whole thing incredibly beautiful it's a good one i just watched this not too long mm -hmm. ago it's very good um friends friends of many of ours uh, eric stadnick and kyle anderson have a doctor who podcast called doctor who the writer's room and eric in particular is a big 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 fan of the script for kinda um, I think it's episode two of the writer's room. If you uh, Google it, it's a good episode to hear them really, really nerd out on how strong that script is. A lot of depth to this one. And um, I think it's a, I think actually speaking of heaven sent, I think Kinda is an example of a show that an episode that has 
grown in acclaim as time has gone on because at the time it was you know we were all yeah. focused on what the monster next monster episode would be and all of that and you know it was just watching it and i remember that time and being like okay that was weird and then it has really grown in esteem over the years because of all the depth that's in it and also there's a giant snake they wrote a textbook about it. Um, yeah. Doctor Who, the unfolding text is is basically based on Kinda. Yep, which I which wow. I I read back in the eighties. It's just an academic book, but I read it because yeah. it was about Doctor Who. All right, yeah. Kinda is now off the board. Alyssa, your turn. What do you have? Uh, so I'm going to switch from classic Who over to new Who to a story uh, that I love um, and uh, sort of gets overlooked from uh, Matt Smith's tenure, and that's Vincent and the Doctor. <sighs> okay. I need a new co-host right now. <laughs> All right. It gets overlooked. Okay, and there's another one off the list. Good job. Yeah, yeah mine too. Ah. It's, it's one of those that I think a lot of people, when you mention it, remember it and remember how good it is, but it's one that I don't see talked about quite to the same extent of other Doctor Who episodes. And it's just this uh, beautiful, sad, hopeful episode um, that uh, is, I think, one of the very few episodes that I like that does uh, mental illness as metaphor um, in science fiction because it does it in such a touching and sensitive way that is also very respectful of uh, mental illness and doesn't, you know, have it sort of in place of a character who does really have a mental illness on the show. It's an interesting way of exploring um, both how it works and how people react to it uh, in an everyday setting. And it, for me, is, I think, an episode that it manages to be incredibly surprising because it is simultaneously about one of the most horrifying, sad and depressing things that you could think about, that there is somebody who is here, who is suffering, who they know is going to commit suicide, and they can't really do anything about that. But it is also about respecting the way that the, that Vincent's illness works, of acknowledging that you can give him happy days, but it does not negate or cure what he is going through, that it's just, it adds to his pile of happy, even if it can't take away from everything else that he is coping and dealing with. And it manages to end on an incredibly hopeful note, even considering the fact that when they leave, they they are essentially at this point leaving him to commit suicide in a year or so, um, because it shows a side of Vincent van Gogh in which he will know the impact of his work and know that it is loved and appreciated and that he has something of value to give this world. Uh, and it's simply stunning just the the artwork that is shown in this episode and the the way it is shown that you see him actually working on paintings and get an idea of his approach to color and painting and representing the world. You have that gorgeous sequence in which they're staring at the stars and he is talking about the way he sees color in the world and you see the Starry Night actually transform into the Starry Night painting. Uh, and then Amy is left with that wonderful marker of 
the impact that she had on him, even if she couldn't save his life uh, with that sunflower por- portrait with her name on it, which I actually have a uh, hand-painted replica of um, in my apartment. Someone found a hand-painted replica um, and added in the writing uh, to Amy for me <laughs> as uh, my Christmas <laughs> present. So I have that <laughs> and it's really, really pretty. Um, and so I think it it's just this quiet stunning episode um, that really deserves uh, a lot of praise uh, and attention because uh, it's just one of the most hopeful, validating things um, that exists, I think, in Doctor Who. I think uh, we spoke about the invisible spaceship earlier. Um, This is an episode with an invisible monster, which is very Doctor (laughs) Who. Um, But also, as Alyssa said, it's also a metaphor because it's the monster you can't see but is present, which is a really strong metaphor for Vincent's depression. Um, I love this episode. And I love one of the things I love about it is also what you mentioned, Alyssa, which is it does all the things that sort of a Doctor Who episode doesn't ever do, even though you always want them to do, which is like, look, we are going to take you into the future and you're going to see like if you had a time machine, you're going to see your art on the walls of the museum and see how beloved you are. And like they never do that in Doctor Who. They're always like, well, goodbye. Got to go. And in this episode, no, that's like the last 10 minutes of this story is all about that. I love how that is so unlike any other Doctor Who story and just revels in it and is joyous with the music playing and everything. It's amazing. Delightfully uplifting. Yeah, and and we get random Bill Nye as well. That's true. Oh, yes. That's true. A lot of great curators on uh, modern Doctor Who. Um, Erica, (laughs) it's your turn. What do you have? Well, because because Stephen picked Heaven Sent, Hellbent, uh, that is now... And I get to pick the war games. It's two of my four that I really want off the board. And now I have to choose between the last two. And I wasn't honestly sure which I was going to take until Jason just said a lot of good curators in uh, in Doctor Who. <laughs> yep. And I think that cemented it for me. <laughs> so, yes. Goes. Yep. I am, I'm taking a big one off the board. I am taking the Day of the Doctor. Oh, that's one of my seven. The 50th, 50th anniversary special. Uh, Stephen actually mentioned it very, very briefly in passing earlier when he was talking about how watching Heaven Sent with an audience was was a great experience and how the Day of the Doctor was was possibly better. Yes, uh, not only did I get to experience watching this on television, but I got to see it with my family because it actually came out before I moved to Canada. So my family and I went to see it in a movie theater and it was in 3D and it was actually shot in 3D, uh, or at least certain scenes of it were because it was a big push by the BBC that year to, to do a bunch of uh, 3D stuff for... Um, for whatever reason, I'm not exactly sure why, but uh, so it was. It was. It was even better than your average movie theater Doctor Who watching experience because I usually go to the theater and, and watch it when they, they they show stuff because it was 50 years of this show that I um, that I have loved since I was four years old, mm. something like that. Um, all like I could tell that everybody who who helped craft this ac- episode and they just they love it as much as I do. And um, James mentioned loving multi doctor stories. I too love multi doctor stories. That is that is one of my biggest Doctor Who happy places. And getting to see uh, two of my my favorite new series doctors together, and then having this you know random retconned 
extra character thrown in who's played by John freaking Hurt, one mm. of the greatest actors ever. Uh, it just it seemed like Doctor Who was doing a thing that I never would have expected nor dreamed of uh, nor dreamed of because it was just like taking it to ridiculous, ridiculous heights. So not only did I get to have the delight of of two different incarnations, or actually three different incarnations of the Doctor, uh, but two that I knew and loved, bantering with each other and bouncing off of off of the off of himself, which is just which is just great. Uh, but I got my favorite favorite companion of the new era, Clara, being wonderful uh and and we even got to see you know billy piper who who rose was not my favorite character but i do think billy piper is pretty great and to see her come back and play this character that is not rose yeah. but is rose like and mm-hmm. is just like man she phenomenally did it with this with this edge this kind of darkness but with still um still fun that uh, that just i mean i had always kind of liked billy piper but this is not She's so goodness yeah so many notches like up above that um and and yeah and we get to see all kinds of like just you know fan servicey stuff but it was all together in this just great big mound of happiness that i have happily watched again Mm -hmm. and again and and yeah the experience of seeing it in the theater with my family like knowing that i was going to be moving to canada uh, because of doctor who because (laughs) i met my husband because of this show and just have all of this celebration come together in this one i think almost perfect perfect episode um yeah that's that i had to pick the day of the doctor we i think we're all fortunate as fans to have such a great episode be the 50th anniversary episode because it could very easily have been like you know not so great and just like (laughs) yeah yeah we accept it it's got multiple doctors and it's fine and it's you know it's cheesy but it's fine or whatever no it's great it's like legitimately a great episode it actually expands it spans on the uh, on the canon as opposed to just looking back at it which is Mm -hmm. which is great i just love the fact that when he was writing it he only had jenna coleman under contract he didn't even have his own current doctor under contract to appear in it uh neither david Tennant or at the time chris heckleston so it it nearly killed him uh but he did it and he made it work um possibly at the uh at the sacrifice of the last half of season seven to do yeah. it but uh, i will take it as a trade-off yeah, yeah. i'm i'm actually happy that uh that in in the end christopher eccleston decided not to come back and do it i mean as cool as that would have been i really really appreciate that the deepening of the story that this extra you know this extra layer that we get adding the war doctor in there it's not just that as we thought the ninth doctor had done all of these these things and was was really broken up about it he he actually his his actions during the time war that was a different person he he distances himself from it so much that he doesn't even use the same name so we get to have this numbering system that now is going to you know enrage fans for the rest of time there's nothing more doctor who than that and uh brought the fez back and that's important chip it's your your choice what uh what do you have for us well, I do like Rose quite a bit, actually. And the stuff between her and the doctor, the nature of the relationship, whether it was romantic or not, whether that was problematic or not, that was catnip for me. I always liked it when Rose was forced to confront the contra- the contradictions of the relationship or if, uh, if, if her role as a companion became problematized in a way when she was forced to think about, well, maybe the doctors had 
you know, other companions has had a life before her. I know, I know where you're um, going. I here. also like it when episodes pay homage to the past while having fun with it. Yes, yes, I'm picking School Reunion. Ah, okay, mm-hmm. I'll score it off my list. Yep, <laughs> me too. Good choice. School Reunion, I, I, I love quite a bit. Uh, not just because they bring uh, Sarah Jane Smith back and Liz Slayton kills it, utterly mm-hmm. kills it. Um, they bring K nine back, and somehow it doesn't look goofy. It, it's it it's a little bit disco. Hey, it was state of the art, you know. Whatever, you know that line that just sort of hand waves it. It, it it's got a Buffy feel to it, which uh, isn't just because Anthony Head is uh, there <laughs> as one of the most as as one of the best. Uh, He's somewhere between mustache twirling and cold as ice. You know, he's one of my favorite Doctor Who villains. There, um, it uh, the the scene with Liz Layden and Billy Piper uh, comparing notes about the things that they have experienced, and Bros being brought up short when uh, Liz delivers the coup de gras with the Loch Ness monster. Um, <laughs> you know, there is so much fun. There is so much fun in this episode. The 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 poolside confrontation between the doctor and um, I can't remember the character's name, Mr. but Finch? we'll just call him Giles. Mr. Finch, yes. We'll just call him Giles and Giles, go with it. Sure. <laughs> it's possibly the highlight of the second season uh, for me. Um, it's just, just so delightful. And the affection between David Tennant and Liz Sladen, between the 10th Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith so good and the fact that we get a top quality children's series out of it to follow mm-hmm. um i adore school reunion amen i, I like in it uh mickey's realization that he's the tin dog yes and then yeah uh the the the, the shooty dog thing saves the day and i thought canine died and i was really upset me too and it still it still makes me cry at the end when he says goodbye my sarah jane and then the tardis fades out and we get the reveal of the new canine Absolutely. Also, great big bad people are in this. And of course, your teachers are all monsters. Of course they are. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> it's your choice. Oh, there. Well, uh, thankfully, I like most everything in Doctor Who. Uh, and I feel Ooh. that uh, some of the episodes that are on my list are safe in the current crowd that I'm uh, with today. I um, feel like I should be insulted by that, perhaps. Well, no, no. <laughs> I just, just said that we have different tastes in some, some things. So I don't need to worry about taking it, uh, taking those stories. So I'm going to leave Leave them where they are and instead go new series again uh, for a a two-part story, which I just do not think gets enough credit or adulation or praise. Um, It is the sequel to Blink, in a way. It's the second appearance (gasps) of... (laughs) <laughs> the Weeping Angels. It is a two-part story. Ah. The Time of Angels, you, Flesh and Stone. Damn you. <laughs> oh, did you have that one, Liz? Damn you. <laughs> that was the reaction I was expecting when Alyssa picked the Time Monster. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I, I, as I said, layers. Mm. But you yeah. stole my layer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I loved Eleventh Hour. Um which was great, uh, and and immediately uh, got me hooked on Matt Smith. Then the next two episodes after that were not, not so great, not, but mm-hmm. I was still enjoying his performance. And then this thing came along, and I liked Blink enough, but I think this one really put some chills into me. Um, and what I really liked about it is that even though Eleventh Hour was Matt Smith's first episode that aired, this was his first thing that he made. He was like, you know, fresh 
green puppy when he made this thing. And he's astounding in it. He is, he's, he's bizarre. He's eccentric. Uh, when he's sort of, uh, you know, he's looking through the book and he's sort of like listening to the pages as he goes by. Like there's some definite eccentricity going on there with this doctor. Um, the scenes in the caverns there, and then they realize that all the, uh, the, the frozen, you know, the sort of the, the remnants of the statues are actually angels and stuff, and then the lights start going out. And there's, it's just, it just goes from, from, um, you know, danger to danger to danger. It's always, they're never in a safe spot, which is what I like. They're always having to outrun some scenario or situation and then immediately get them, uh, into another one. There's several scenes that I love, but the one that sticks out to me in my mind right now is Ian Glenn, who of course is famous now for Game of Thrones, but he was in this as sort of, uh, as it turns out, uh, River Song's captor in a way. Um, how he's about to get killed. He, he, he boom, a, uh, an angel sneaks up behind him and only the doctor looking at the angels, keeping him alive. And Ian Glenn's characters had such, uh, animosity towards the doctor throughout the whole story. But then they have this moment of understanding before the doctor inevitably has to, has to not look anymore and run off to his own safety. And then, and then, uh, Ian Glenn's character dies. And what the great thing was, is that for, you know, for the first four years of Doctor Who, we've sort of been conditioned by, you know, a thing will get planted in episode one and then maybe a couple hints here and there and then we'll see it pay off in episode 13. And so when we saw the big crack in Amy's wall in the 11th hour, we just assumed, okay, this will be a thing that comes in, in episode 13. And then all of a sudden when everything is going bonkers in flesh and stone, the crack appears on the wall and it, it was like, Oh my God, what is this doing here? I was not expecting this at all. They have to deal with this now. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a superb story. Great episode. I do like that episode a lot and I agree. It doesn't get the, uh, it doesn't get the do it deserves. So now it has because Stephen picked it. Um, I <laughs> am going to choose. So my last, my, my previous pick was blink, which was obvious, but also the, the Moffatiest of Moffat episodes, even though it comes in the Russell T. Davis era. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to pick another David Tennant episode. And this is the <laughs> Russell T. Davis. Uh, I think, I think it's his best work on the show. And, oh, you and don't <laughs> don't and could be could be performed <laughs> and could be performed as a as a play on a stage and would be brilliant. You it is uh, it is the you! best Twilight Zone episode never made. It's midnight. Ah! <laughs> Good pick. Uh, I love midnight so much. It is. Uh, I, I feel like Russell T. Davis, uh, and this is true about about Stephen Moffat too. And we'll we'll see what happens with Chris Chibnall. But I think the burden of the show runner in part is that you need to crank everything up at the beginning of the season and you need to do the big uh, resolution at the end which can be very exciting and those are high profile episodes but what I think it uh, often will miss is it a, um, they don't necessarily get the chance to do the quieter episodes in the middle but they do sometimes something like Listen is a good example of Stephen Moffat trying to do something different in a, in a different kind of space from the, the season opener and the season ender and Midnight is a great example of that. This is a companion light episode so I did the Doctor Light episode the last time um hmm. it's david Tennant and in a locked room with a cast of characters who are put under pressure and uh they react badly because apparently human nature is that we're all awful which is probably true and uh <laughs> it's definitely rod serling-esque um 
and I love it. I, I mean, it, it is, I, I really do believe that, that it would be a great play. It would be a great standalone episode of any TV show, more than Blink, which people say, oh, you can drop in and, and, and watch Blink. Midnight literally doesn't need to be about Doctor, it doesn't need to be Doctor Who, and it would still be brilliant. And the added, uh, the, 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 the monster, which is this unseen, again, it's another invisible monster, unseen force. <laughs> um, you get the, the uh, repeating dialogue. The dialogue escalates to the point where it's all simultaneous. Simultaneous, and then uh, Sky goes ahead of the Doctor. At which point, the monster has basically taken him over, and there are moments of terror as they decide that they're going to get rid of the Doctor. And we know what's going on, but the people don't. Well, some of the people don't. Some of the people do. Uh, I love it. It's amazing. And the sacrifice of the uh, the stewardess uh, who never gets a name, and that's part of the point is that they didn't even bother to learn her name and she's the one who saved them all uh is a, a real uh, just a, an amazing end to this episode so yeah midnight i think it's brilliant brilliant best thing rtd ever wrote for doctor who i think well sure if you like that sort of thing yeah, that's right <laughs> i knew you wouldn't like it chip oh god jason you two chances to pick it so there you go oh and i was wavering between that and school reunion <laughs> i'll have you know um rtd has this mixture of pessimism and optimism in him and there are times especially towards the end of the tenant run where he starts really subverting uh what doctor who is and you and you sort of wonder along the if deep down davis really thinks that the doctor can be that good and that the people can be that good you look at the the 10th doctor's actions in uh, the waters of mars and such and this episode is all about you know the doctor being powerless the doctor not have not not having that sort of aura of privilege about him um, the people in that bus just don't believe him and he's got nothing that works for him anymore. And that is just so compelling as a result. Damn you, Jason mm. Snell. I love it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. James Thompson, what's your third pick? Oh, no, this is tricky because I thought some things would have gone I by know, now. right? <laughs> and I've got like, I've, uh, if I've only got one proper slot left, ooh, where do I go? I'll give you, I'll, I'll say this. We'll do a fourth round, but that'll just literally be saying the name of the episode. So... You will have one last okay. place to stock oh. your, uh, your your choices. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I, it, this seems to be somewhat of a theme of Stephen Moffat-y episodes. Uh, and this particular episode combines uh, my favorite genre of the, it's the abandoned creepy spaceship with oh, yeah. BBC costume drama. All right. This was next on my list, James. So you got me. I'm not, I should do that. What, Chip? How does it go? Ah! <laughs> Something like that. So I, I'm, I'm amazed that it lasted this long. Me too. Uh, me too. Girl, Girl in the Fireplace, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is up there with Blink in the sort of when Stephen Moffat wasn't running the show and was just doing the occasional episodes. I think he was at his uh, highest quality. And yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's the abandoned spaceship, the costume drama and the very slightly creepy time traveler's wife love story type thing to it. Um, you've got the basic setup. You have the, the, the abandoned spaceship, which they find, uh, which has a fireplace, which links to, uh, Madame de Pompadour's bedroom and, uh, Sophia Miles brilliantly playing Madame de Pompadour. She has great chemistry with David Tennant. I believe they dated after the filming of the episode. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, he's popping back and forward. And each time he goes back to the spaceship and back again, a certain amount of time has passed. And uh, the, these clockwork robots, which are lovely, like the actual robots are these lovely clockwork mechanisms. Uh, these days would probably be entirely CGI. Uh, he's working towards saving her at some specific point in the future. And I think in this episode, it's like, uh, I think Mickey starts to be slightly less annoying at this point. Mm-hmm. I think Billy Piper and David Tennant are absolutely adorable. Uh, you have the doctor being drunk or always taking a banana <laughs> to a party. He invents the banana daiquiri. Um, and it's the, I mean, the romance that happens between the doctor and Madame de Pompadour in the course of, you know, like, 45 minutes or whatever is somewhat unbelievable well it's 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 45 years for her but well yes not for us. Um, and i maintain that the doctor has actually been you know sort of like fanboy in love with madame du pompadour for hundreds of years absolutely so I feel like it's it's fair absolutely yeah i think they both are fanboy girl in love with each other so yeah mm-hmm. I, I i can buy and of course this is you know we, we we said so much of what we see in these early moffat episodes are just then uh, what if I told that story across many seasons or an entire season or things like that? Mm-hmm. Because this yeah. is this is uh, uh, definitely got echoes in River Song's story uh, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I wanted to interject. Mickey Mickey is not only great in this. I, I wish there was a whole series of this configuration of the TARDIS, which is Rose and Mickey and the Doctor uh, going all over the place. But instead, you basically mm-hmm. only get this episode because then they go to the parallel universe and leave Mickey behind. And I always regret that this is the like the one, just as I feel about Boomtown, that I really would have liked that little Scooby gang to stay together for a few more episodes, and they don't. Um, I, I, I feel that way about Girl in the Fireplace. It's like, Mickey just adds a little like obstruction and complication for Rose and the doctor and i like it i like somebody getting in their way <laughs> and i like yes uh, he gets invited on the the tardis at the end she's clearly quite jealous about this mm-hmm. um and uh, yeah we have the the we have the sad ending which does uh all, all of these episodes seem to upset me in some fashion but it's the, <laughs> yeah. the sad ending of her him you know he arrives and uh the king says you know you just missed her but what he means is she just died and you see the coffin heading out um and he gets the letter which he reads later and then at the end of the episode we get the actual reveal that the ship was the ss madame de pompadour and that's why but they never know because you you only see this as the tardis uh uh, dematerializes brings brings me to tears every time every damn time they dematerialize and we see that it's the madame de pompadour because they don't know only you know only we as the viewer know that that's why oh and there's a horse and there is a horse horse. what tv show has a horse wandering down a corridor of a uh, of an abandoned spaceship come on that's doctor who right there (laughs) all right the girl in the fireplace now off the board that was one of my seven liz yes it's your turn well i'm in a terrible mood now because somebody, somebody stole my favourite new series episode that was the clear one I was going to pick this round. They shall obviously <laughs> remain nameless, but we'll call them S. Chapansky. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, so this leaves me with lesser choices. I mean, I adore these lesser choices, but it's it's very difficult to choose between them. But I've picked I've picked a sixties episode and I've picked an eighties episode, so I thought I'd go for a seventies episode to to round out my classic seriousness. 
And I'm going for one of the ones that I absolutely adore and is comfort food. And I watch almost as much as I watch The Town Monster. And that is Terror of the Autons. Yes! Season <laughs> seven. And, uh, there are, oh, there are so many reasons I absolutely adore it. I think it is, it's just, oh, it's, it's just such a fun story. It's just gorgeously fun. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for three reasons why, why I like it particularly. Um, I love the introduction. This is the introduction of the master, uh, as played by Roger Delgado. And I think it's absolutely perfect and brilliant and glorious in every single way. His performance here is amazing in that it's scarier and darker than any of his other stories whilst also being more ridiculous because of the just sheer number of awesome and lolurious ways he plans to kill people. He yep. manages to shrink them. <laughs> he sends uh, a bomb, casual bomb, so that's like a regular one. Uh, he suffocates someone with an inflatable chair. He <laughs> murders someone with a plastic troll. And then he murders lots and lots of people with uh, plastic daffodils. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's kind of fun. That, if you've got a slightly morbid sense of humour. Um, yeah, so he's perfect and wonderful. And the other thing I absolutely love about it is it's also Joe Grant's introduction story. And Joe, in Received Fan Wisdom, um, gets such a bad rap. And mm -hmm. one of the loveliest things about when the new series came along and there was this huge influx of fangirls is many went back, watched the old series and suddenly decided to interpret it quite differently. And one of the lovely things I suddenly knew a lot of people thought was that Joe was absolutely marvellous. And uh, I think this first episode is a perfect uh, way of um, illustrating that. In her first episode, uh, the doctor's like, oh, dear God, this is terrible. And she destroys one of his experiments and everyone thinks, oh, God, she's a bit useless. And uh, she ends the episode by trying to blow up everyone, which doesn't exactly make the best impression on your first day. However, however, in that same episode, she's the one who actually finds the master. Okay, it doesn't go too well after that, but she does find him. And after that, she spends the next three episodes proving just how great she is in this kind of she's a very understated secret agent kind of way. I mean, we hear about her lockpicking and safe cracking, but uh, we get to see her flat out rescue the doctor um, and also do a, manage to get her ropes loose whilst traveling on a bus and she cheerfully jumps off it with the doctor and no complaining there i wouldn't jump off a fast moving bus that looks kind of scary to me and nor would i go rescue the doctor from a circus because again that looks a bit scary um uh, so yeah and i think this is she also does one of her favorite things which is say she kind of she seems to be very aware of just how cute and adorable and how people will underestimate her. And so when dudes say, don't do that, she's like, oh, of course I won't do that. No, no, I'll just stay here. And she smiles sweetly. And then as soon as they turn their back, she's off doing the thing that she knows is best. And the show, she, she does it at least three times. And it, I love it because the show doesn't punish her for it. One time it doesn't come off properly. This time she's very successful. But it does, it sort of has a realistic array of results for her doing this thing. And it's kind of, this is her way of dealing with uh, sexism in her job. And I, I really think it's a great contrast to how Liz and Sarah deal with it on either side. And finally, God, Terror of the Autons has one of my favourite Doctor Who lines of all time, um, where there's these, this is, this is a Robert Holmes script, so all the dialogue is beautiful and all the characters are beautiful. And he has this ability to sketch a character very, very quickly with only a couple of lines. And in episode one, there's these two scientists at the top of Radio Tower Telescope. And one of them is called Gooch. And uh, this guy gets like, 
a scene and a half before he's blasted by the master. But what we do get while uh, he's there and alive is him complaining about his wife, Elsie, who's given him eggs again for his lunch. And and he doesn't like eggs because quite apart from their effect on my digestion, they're aesthetically boring. And I just think that, my God, this character's in it for 45 seconds and you bother to give him a line like that. That must have been a bit actor who was pretty darn happy at the end of the day. <laughs> Love it. Two thumbs up. Oh, thank you so much for choosing this episode. I was worried I wasn't going to be able to bring it in. And it's Woo! such a good episode. I, I like your third Doctor taste. It's on a wavelength of awesome. <laughs> well, I just want to point out now that we've gone through uh, three rounds for Liz and she has picked a modern story. It was Kinda from 1982. And now we move <laughs> on to Alyssa. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I would like to thank Liz for bringing up uh, one of my favorite Third Doctor stories because I was worried. I, there's so many good stories that I feel like I have to yeah. leave behind, like these beautiful babies. That I just have to I have to leave because I have to <laughs> I have to pick another uh, New Who story because um, I can't uh, let this round go without talking about how amazing that is, and that's Face the Raven, oh, which yeah. is. A stunning piece of work. First time in Doctor Who for writer Sarah Dollard, and she just knocks it out of the park with one of the most stunning episodes. Um, I flat out sobbed through the final 10 minutes of this episode. Um, as soon as it becomes really, really clear that there is no clever solution, that there is nothing that they can do to save Clara's life, they have the most stunning conversation between uh, the Doctor and Clara and Jenna Coleman and Peter Capaldi are acting the hell out of that scene. Like, there is such love and sadness and grief that is taking place there. Uh, Clara has the most incredible lines that is just, she's got, you know, a minute to live and she is taking names, holding people accountable, setting up instructions for the doctor, and also just being, being utterly heartfelt and devastated about having to leave, having to die, and not being able to to say all of the things that she wanted to say to the doctor. Um, I think that uh, it is a just sort of gorgeous episode from start to finish as well, because um, you have uh, a small little character from an earlier season come back and he gets a really sort of touching story that he's now married, has a child. Peter Capaldi with a baby is amazing. Why do <laughs> more people not put him with babies all of the time? Because it is adorable. Um, you get Maisie Williams come back as me, and she manages to play that character entirely differently, but so brilliantly every single time that she comes back to Doctor Who. And it's astounding how you have that much acting talent in someone who is so young. Um, and you really get a stunning conclusion to the whole Clara is becoming the Doctor arc in that it is fatal for her simply because she is not as durable as he is, that she cannot just simply regenerate her way out of it. Um, but also that in a few episodes later, the narrative is going to bend over backwards to actually bring her back and let her live through this experience in the most 
weird and out there kind of way. Um, and it is uh, sort of a really devastating final moment when Clara actually goes out to face her death. And it's played with uh, this incredible amount of braveness. Let me be brave. I, I know so many people who have had that tattooed, put on T-shirts, put on every single object that they can find around their house and on their person because it is just distilled bravery uh, and courage in three words that Clara goes out to face her death in something that I think a lot of companions and uh, characters in Doctor Who wouldn't. I, you know, I couldn't even imagine the Doctor going out and facing his death like that because he'd still be looking for a clever way out. Um, and it is uh, an absolutely incredible episode in that this was first that this this was Sarah Dollard's first ever episode for Doctor Who. Like, what a way to make an entrance! I like that the um the way it's handled. First off, they sell it that uh, it's very clear that this is goodbye for Clara. I I had that sinking feeling as I was watching it of like, oh no! If this was one of those things they were going to reverse in the next episode, they would not be taking all the time to do this. Right? That's like that extra level as a viewer where you're thinking, well, if they just sort of like suddenly kill her, there's no way that that's going to be the case. They're gonna they're gonna, but they do have her have that whole processing of her death and accepting it and going out to face the Raven. And even when they are there is that science fictional reversal two episodes later i feel like it didn't quite cheat because the premise is still that at some point she's going to need to step back through that uh, time portal and face the raven and die that her death is still inevitable but that she's just got a little bit of a vacation before she goes back to it so i don't feel like it gets negated entirely by two episodes down the line i think that's good because i w- i think i would feel less about this story if they just like snapped their fingers and fixed it and she didn't die after all but that that they didn't do that and i like that about it it also managed to be completely surprising because, you know, I think if they had done it within the episode, I wouldn't have been terribly surprised by it. But they ended and it was final. And then you go through Heaven Sent immediately afterwards and you think, oh, wow, they, they're like, they're really real about this, that this is she is dead. This is final. Um, and it still surprises me in Hellbent when he goes back and manages to pluck her out of that moment, um, because it just seems like that was one where they were not going to be. Uh, reversing course on uh, so it, it's very well done lots of doctor who modern series uh series nine already off the board although i'll point out liz since you have one more pick sleep Hello. sleep no more is still available <laughs> <laughs> that's just mean oh, that's i so know mean. what's you i feel like we have a shared i got, I got to, experience i've got to pick it now sleep no more uh erica it's your <laughs> it's your choice now well i am i'm exceedingly happy with the way this draft has played out because as i said i had four that were at the very very top of my list and I am getting to pick three of them so uh, I couldn't be happier and the final one is probably the one that a lot of people who know me very well thought I was going to pick first but I felt like I was probably safe leaving it off because I didn't think anybody else would pick it because I don't think anybody else in the world loves it as much as I do (laughs) and I was right about nobody picking it because the rebus operation Mm -hmm. is still on the board and I am taking it we, we all just left it there for you. We knew that you would, you would need it. <laughs> Thanks. Yep. You guys are the best. Yeah, it is It is my favorite Doctor Who story of all time. It is my number one comfort viewing. I think I've probably seen that story more than any other Doctor Who story uh, because it's just so easy for me to, to put on and sink into. It is uh, another Robert Holmes script. 
uh, Liz mentioned Robert Holmes. It has, I think, some of the best dialogue that he has has ever written. It is it is very, very witty and very, very quippy. Yeah, but and, are there any lines about eggs? Um, I don't think there are. So, so it does lack it does lack any lines about eggs. So that is that is too bad. But what it does have is my favorite companion, Romana. It, uh, it is the introduction of the the first Romana, played by Mary Tam, whom I love. It is the first story of season sixteen, which is the key to time season, which is the first time that they tried an arc with an entire season in Doctor Who. You know, I kind of put arc in quotes a little bit there, but I love arcy stuff. I love that whole season. It's my favorite season of Doctor Who, and I think the rebus operations starts it off just great uh it also has canine with the right voice uh as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to shada um and i i love canine and he i feel like he doesn't take over the story too much because you know a, a little canine goes a long way and i feel like he is he's very well used and the interaction between him and romana whom he calls mistress i think is is excellent because uh, because it's it's not exactly my favorite crowded TARDIS. I love having lots of people in the TARDIS, but having at least two companions, I think, is a really good thing. And I count K9 as a companion. So K9 plus Romana equals a great companion duo to sort of play off of the Doctor. Because let's face it, the fourth Doctor, especially at this point, was very big. So having two different characters to sort of push back against that is is a nice thing. Um, the The sets are amazing because it's also sort of period drama. It looks kind of like, you know, R- Russian-esque. So the the BBC just had a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff to work with for for making this one look good. It's uh it takes place on a planet that is uh winter for for many 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 years and then summer for many many years and this is the middle of winter, so they get to do the entire thing in sets with just big stone walls and people walking around wearing big fur cloaks and fuzzy hats. This is a great great hat episode of Doctor Who. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and it's a heist. You have these you have these two characters who are wonderful Robert Holmesian characters who uh, Garen and Unstoff who are basically con men and swindlers and thieves and they're trying to sell this planet to a uh, an interstellar um Graf, who's kind of like a duke or a prince of some sort, and and he is the biggest, the biggest villain of all of Doctor Who. I think, as far as, in in terms of performance and going over the top, I don't think anybody does it bigger than Paul C does as the Graf Vindicay, and it is like. It is just wolfing down scenery left and right and left again. It is, and it's, it's, it goes so far that it's not over the top anymore. He actually like kind of comes around and just sort of sits at the top the second time around and it's, it's great. Um, so I, I highly recommend if you have not watched a lot of classic who and you like heisty type stories and you like snappy dialogue and you like canine, um, go back and check out the Rebus operation. It's just, it's so fun. All right. Not a surprise. No. But it had to be Not done. Not at all. Had to be done. Chip, it's your turn. My heart is leading me in one direction, but my head is taking me into the past. Way, mm-hmm. way, way into the past. To an episode written by John Lucarotti. Ooh. I speak of the Aztecs. Hmm. That's a good one. <laughs> I t- tell on Chip. Liz, I'm Liz approved. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm surprised. I have issues falling in love with the oldest of old Doctor Who because I, even even when I was a teenager, I was still looking at Doctor Who reruns and comparing them to 
you know, contemporary production values on American television and things like that. You know, uh, there is so much that I trip up over when I get into uh, first and second Doctor episodes. Uh, but for my money, the best way, the, the best celebration for me for the original TARDIS team is the Aztecs. Um, the it, it, it's a comparatively simple story. Um, it is the, it is a classic time travel dilemma where somebody wants to change history. And, uh, this is the first time that Dr. Who, uh, tackles it. Uh, Hartnell is on his A game. Uh, Jacqueline Hill is on her, is, is on her A game. Um, the conflict is real. The, the, the villains are regrettably as, you know, it's, it's, British people in makeup be portraying indigenous people. And that's, that's not good, but that is the time. That's, that's, that's what we have there. Uh, but the, but the drama is real. The, uh, the, the, the villain of the piece has an understandable motivation. And to cap it all off, we have a little bit of a love story for the first doctor. It's mm-hmm. just, it, it, it's four episodes that, really really hold up they they look and feel like period television but it is simply a great story um so and i think i I think that i would while an part one of an unearthly child is of course nearly flawless itself and it is the it it, you know there's a reason why one of my fellow panelists watches it on doctor who day every year and it's not just for tradition you know it's that good but for a complete story i think the Aztecs would be my introduction for anyone to the original TARDIS team. And Erica, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> don't believe him, people. Don't be turned off if you watch it and don't like it. I'll just put it that way. There's 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 really good stuff in the first Doctor's era. So if you don't like that, there's stuff yeah. you'll find that you like. Er- Erica would like to recommend the sense rights as an alternative pick. No, I would not. Wait. <laughs> okay. I, I just wanna I wanna be clear here. Um, we now have choices from every doctor's era except colin baker sylvester mccoy and christopher eccleston so those are story checks Aww, out don't, um, don't guilt all us still out there Stephen shapansky what are you going to choose well neither of those uh or a deep <laughs> one um <laughs> But I am I am going to dip into the past though uh, because I feel I've gone off off script a little bit choosing new quote unquote new who mm. since the new series has been on for uh, twelve years now. Um, I'm going to go back to the last story of perhaps the greatest season in all of classic Doctor Who. That being season seven, I'm choosing the John Pertwee story Inferno. Nice, oh, that's a good one. Nice. That's a good one. Not on my list, but good. For pick. those who haven't seen it, it involves there's a drilling project that's going on. And uh, and Doctor Who is trying to is 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 basically hovering around trying to get power to his TARDIS because he's of course he's trapped on Earth at the time. Uh, a cut in power at the wrong time shoots him off into an alternate universe where similar things are happening, but except that it's all fascist and all those characters are are familiar yet very different. Um, and basically that that world is further along in their in their project which turns out is about to destroy the earth and the doctor has to basically get back to his familiar world learning what he's learned from seeing his his alternate universe friends die uh and then save the world in the in the proper universe it's um 
it's some of the most chilling Doctor Who I think I've ever seen. I think it for a classic Doctor Who series, it uses sound a lot more creatively than perhaps would even be possible in those days because there's unlike other stories around the same time there's very little music it's just the the rumbling it's the sound of the drilling you hear the drill constantly it's this loud drilling environment and then when they uh, drill through the uh, the crust in the alternate universe it's all just explosions and and you can just hear the world literally dying around you the whole episode that's the only real soundtrack that happens during the course of it and then the the capper at the, at the end is when the doctor says you know free will is not an illusion after all um you know the pattern can be changed it's one of the most uplifting moments in in doctor who and that whenever whenever real life sort of gets gets uh, everyone down it's important to remember those those lines because you you can change the pattern yourself you're not stuck in a uh, in a routine decided by you it's a great story so are you saying it flies directly in the face of uh chipspick because <laughs> you can change history <laughs> it does every yes every single line yep just as long as it's in an alternate edition. Are you telling me that Doctor Who is inconsistent in its cosmology here? <laughs> a tiny Gasp. bit. Too. All right. Um, yeah. For my pick, I I struggled again because I have a whole bunch of things that are kind of like in the same ballpark, and I decided to go with uh, a pick from a Doctor we haven't heard from yet. Oh. So I wonder what this could possibly be. <laughs> well, I I think you, that may be my lightning round pick. Uh, for this one, oh, I'm okay. going with Christopher mm. Eccleston's era, and I'm going to choose. Mm. Um, are you my mummy the empty child and the doctor dances which i think Ooh. is uh it's i think it's great that's why i picked it in a draft is because i think positive things about it it's not because i think it's bad it's because i think it's good uh i like <laughs> captain jack is introduced uh rose says give me some spock uh and holds on to a balloon uh for a while uh while wearing a uh a union jack t-shirt um i i love the period detail in Doctor Who, this is that the, they stumble into uh, World War II and the Blitz without realizing it. Um, I like the uh, the zombie gas mask zombies. I like the the story about the kids who are breaking into homes uh, and eating the food of the people who are still in London. I think that's a really great thing. And then, of course, the resolution where we find out the source of the empty child and and it's this sort of sad story about a child who died in the bombing. And uh, of course, but there's an alien spaceship and there nanites and it all gets resolved and everybody lives at the end which is also quite nice and uplifting that would happen again and again and again with Stephen Moffat's stories but this was the first time where everybody lived and I love it um it's uh, this was the this was that moment where I knew for sure that the new series was going to be capable of great things so the empty child the doctor dances. great pick that's also the debut of uh stephen moffat the troll because <laughs> there was the long there was this long-running uh debate in fanish circles about how uh about the doctor's uh sexuality and you know going so far as novels that said that the time lords reproduce through magic looms or something like that throughout the doctor dances moffat's script uses the word dance as a metaphor for something else mm-hmm. and the title of the second episode is the doctor dances that's not what moffat is saying <laughs> yep i'm just saying <laughs> but he does dance at the but end. he does literally dance mm-hmm. literally well, that too. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to do one more round of lightning round where you're just going to tell us what you picked and 
and we're going to move on. And then at the end, we'll we'll let you list everything else that was in your selection. But first, the lightning round, James. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, City of Death because mm-hmm. it is... Nah. The- <laughs> you don't get to say why. <laughs> Give me one line. It's the first Doctor Who story I actually remember seeing live on the TV, and I was six. I am not going to pick The Power of Kroll, just so I'm not going to follow your... And it has sorry. a good John Cleese, Elna Bron, and Douglas Adams cameos in. Liz, lightning round. Uh, I, I feel obligated after my excellent classic series choices to at last pick a new mm. series one. Uh, okay, I'm going to go for The Husbands of River Song, which is one of my Ooh. most comfort foodie things, and I absolutely adore it. It's the most beautiful romance story in all of Doctor Who. A Christmas special has been chosen. Oh, yeah. My favourite Christmas mm. special. Finally, at last, one. it has been chosen. Alyssa? Um, I'm going to go with Enemy of the World um, <gasps> because... Oh! <laughs> because holy hell can Patrick Troughton act <gasps> and it's really, really incredible. <laughs> A lost episode that has been found. I'm so glad I got to pick one episode that really made other people angry. Yes! Oh, that wasn't anger. That was <laughs> that was, that that was admiration. That was a noise of, I love that story and I almost picked it there, but I thought I'd even things out. <laughs> yes! Erica? This is easy. Uh, I'm picking An Unearthly Child because it is the first episode of Doctor Who and actually Chip already rudely talked about it so I'm just going to say the things that Chip said. Okay. <laughs> Good job. Chip? Two words. Thin ice. Two more words. Sarah Dollard. Oh, there you go. Thin ice. Yes. Season 10 heard from. Steven? Uh, Easy one. Caves of Angizani. Um, Great story. Great direction. Got me interested in wanting to work in television, which in a roundabout way is kind of where I work right now. So it basically launched my my future career, and it still is a great story. And uh, for my last pick, I'm going to go with a classic series episode just because i so i can (laughs) and erica you know what it's going to be it's our first colin baker episode first colin baker story Mm -hmm. it's vengeance on veros because i love max headroom and vengeance on veros is basically (laughs) max headroom i love the social satire part of it i don't really understand why perry's a bird um it's been a long time (laughs) i still don't really understand it but it was a it was a coin flip actually between uh this and and uh revelation of the daleks which is also that same season and uh i like for other reasons because it's funny uh intentionally as opposed to in some places unintentionally with varos but i just i love what vengeance on varos has to say about uh media and about democracy and yeah it's uh true it turns out they maybe they were right. Uh, and also that it's got a crazy, weird monster in it. Oh, poor Sylvester McCoy. Weird. Sylvester McCoy remains unpicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, now is the yep. is the part where we go through and I ask you uh, for a very quick recap of the things you wished you had chosen, but you just didn't get there. If you've got anything left on your list, now is the time to em- empty it out. James? I have a lot on my list. Okay. Five doctors, even though there's only four. Um, <laughs> Three when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the pilot. Huh. Um, mm. Silence in the library, Forest of the Dead. Uh-huh. That's on mine. Um, uh, the doctor's wife. That was, that was high on mine. I almost, almost picked that with my last pick. Uh, Utopia. Oh, uh, that's on mine. And I'm going to go Dalek. And then Human Nature, Family of Blood. Ah, also on mine. Yep. yep. Very good. Very good. Liz? Um, 
Dalek Invasion of Earth, uh, the Crusade, the Time Meddler, oh. uh, the Gunfight Tours. What? Uh, Mm-hmm. Gunfight yeah. is hilarious. God damn it. Hartnell has never been better at comic acting than the Gunfighters. It's a tour de force. If you don't think William Hartnell is, is funny, watch the Gunfighters. He's hilarious. Yes, it's perfect. Yes. Um, also has a whole episode that the whole plot is the Doctor has a sore tooth. Uh-huh. Um, yes. The, uh, the Power of the Daleks, uh, the Highlanders, uh, the Invasion, the Mind Robber. Uh, ambassadors <sighs> of death, the mind of evil, frontier in space, the pirate planet, uh, horn, the horns of Naimon for troll pick, uh, the mark of the Rani <laughs> battlefield, curse of Fenric. No, I love Naimon. And in the new series, the ones that didn't get said, uh, the Pandora opens the big bang, uh, robot of Sherwoods. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> the magician's apprentice, the witch is familiar, the girl who died, the woman who lived, uh, the husband, oh wait, I said that, extremis and oxygen. There we go. All right. That's a lot. Whew, I, I love all the stuff. I type fast. Oh, you, you asked for the list. I did. Alyssa? I, I didn't read out all of mine. I stopped after like eight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. More, more foolish Some you. restrained from yeah. parts of Scotland. Alyssa? Oh. <laughs> uh, a ton of mine have already been said, especially in the dump, but the what's left is Edge of Destruction, Tomb of the Cybermen, Enemy of mm. the World, Damon's, Three Doctors, Rose, The Runaway Bride, and Planet of the Ood. All right. There's another uh, another Christmas special has been mentioned. Erica? Uh, I couldn't move fast enough to cross off all the ones Liz said, so I'm just going to re-say them because I can't I'm remember. Sorry. Uh, no, that's <laughs> fine. Um, in the order I thought of them, The Crusade... Time Heist, The Mind Robber, The Curse of Peladon, The Deadly Assassin, The Invasion of Time, Yes, Really, uh, the, the Stones of Blood, The Androids Ooh. of Tara, Nightmare of Eden, Ooh. The Keeper of Trocken, <laughs> Black hey. Orchid, Yes, Really, uh, <laughs> yes. Dalek, Human Nature, Family of Blood. Uh, I had Utopia, Sound of Drums, and Last of the Time Lords. I wasn't sure how that was going to play out, mm-hmm. if it was one hmm. or separate. Um, I would have given them to you, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I freaking jer- love you had Nightmare of Eden on there. Yep, totally. Uh, Journey's End, because my headcanon is that that's the last Tenth Doctor story. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> As- As- Asylum of the Daleks, The Power of Three, The Bells of St. John, and I also put on my list, Twice Upon a Time. <laughs> oh, nice. Ooh. Good pick. This, this, I think this episode is going to drop after that episode oh. airs, but that's okay. Oh. Wibbly wobbly, timey-wimey. <laughs> yep. We've totally seen it, mm-hmm. and it was really good or not, yep, and I love it. it's amazing or controversial <laughs> that Erica chose it. <laughs> you got it. All bases covered. Chip, and I, I, I keep saying that Doctor Who is like a Rorschach test for fans, because there's so little overlap in some of these lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I've And I've missed some of the ones that have already been said because of volume, but uh, Stolen Earth Journey's End, Time Heist, uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, uh, Survival, Christmas Invasion, uh, Green Death, even even a bit of the plan- a, a bit of Planet of the Spiders. Um, oh, dear, uh, I think you have to take the whole thing. Yeah. Jason you said do, you could you not can't pick take a bit part of it. Of it. You got to take it all. Okay, well then we have to get rid of it because of the uh, oh, the God. chase scene. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Father's episode. Mm-hmm. Fair. Father's Day. The Impossible Planet, The Satan Pit, 42, Partners in Crime, Turn Left, The Snowmen, Mummy on the Orient Express, and Flatline. What about uh, The End of Time, Chip? <laughs> no? 
I am against people hating on it. Okay. But I wasn't going to draft right, it. Good. Okay. We're making progress <laughs> with you. Making progress, Stephen. Uh, I never had a list, uh, so I'll okay. just say one story per doctor. I'll say Daleks Master Plan. Um, Evil of the Daleks. I, th- I think I'll side with Chip and Go Green Death. And then Seeds of Doom, Earthshock. Uh, Trial of a Time Lord. Yes, all 14 episodes. I love it. Oh, my God. Uh, Jason says no. No. Uh, (laughs) You can can have mind warp. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's a complete story, Jason. One through 14. Read the rules. I support those 14 episodes. If you want one, you 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 know what? You can have them all. You can have them all. Yeah. When I I was 12 years old on Boxing Day, I got got the box set for Christmas. I watched all 14 episodes, one after another. Oh I would have loved to have done that. Um, Delta and the Batterman, uh, TV movie, I guess. Uh, let's see. Dalek, uh, Waters of Mars, the, oh, what's the, what's that good one that Matt Smith was in? Um, <laughs> Christmas Carol was great. And then uh, so many, I, I, you know what? I love Deep Breath, so we'll go with that one. All right. And my list left uh, Gridlock. Um, Impossible Planet, Satan Pit, already mentioned. Waters of Mars, already mentioned. Last Christmas. Love that. It's the thing at Christmas time. A Christmas Carol. Uh, World Mm -hmm. Enough in Time. The Big Bang. um, And Pandora Opens. The Girl Who Waited. Army of Ghosts and Doomsday, Saddest Beach in the World. Uh, And from the classic series, (laughs) Talents of Wang Chang. Yeah. The racism is awful, but I love it. Uh, Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah, it's too long, but I love it. The Leisure Hive, because it Uh it looks so weird and sounds so weird. I I love it. Um, Pyramids of Mars, Revelation of the Daleks, and Ark in Space. Yes, the We're In. It's also too long, but I love it anyway. I don't care. There you go. That's my list. That's very Yay. interesting. I, I always love hearing about people's favorite Doctor Who episodes because I, it always gives me an impression of their personality. Yep. <laughs> so what have you taken away from it about us all? Then? Eric is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Liz is my favorite. Oh. So, yep. yeah, I could have guessed that. Oh. Yeah, honestly, I was, I was, I was kind of shocked that that after the the sort of main rounds that I that there was almost nothing picked from my list, like nothing yeah it's great it's amazing that that first round was mm-hmm. a big surprise to me too but uh okay so here's what we've done i don't know what we've done we've assembled lists of doctor who stories that we liked and that's the most important thing and if anybody out there mm-hmm. listening disagrees that's fine you can make your own list mm-hmm. and if you're intrigued by any of the episodes that we mentioned these stories that you haven't seen from the classic series from the current series uh you know consult the show notes you can get a complete list of them and uh somebody out there loves them so maybe you should watch mm-hmm. them and consider that Even for yourself. Even if it's the time monster. That is a really beautiful thing about Doctor Who. There is someone who loves every single story. Yep. I, that's just, that makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. the time monster. <laughs> There's lots of someone who loves the time monster. I've still never seen someone it. Someone even know. loves Vengeance on Varus, although I don't know who that person could be. <laughs> just loves Perry when she's a bird anyway uh, I would like to thank my panelists for uh, picking many Doctor Who stories on this show James Thompson thank you uh, a pleasure I look forward to coming on for round two <laughs> right there's <laughs> more, many more many more episodes we could pick uh, Liz Miles thank you I'm very sorry that I didn't pick more Lost Stories that you can no longer watch mm. maybe next Lost Stories draft we could the monster draft Ooh. I think is a good idea Ooh, I did mm. Alyssa Frankie thank you <laughs> I'm I'm glad I made it through this. You survived. (laughs) You survived and you have Doctor Who episodes now in your pocket. 
So that's good. Yes. Erica Ensign, thank you as always. I'm always happy to come and talk about Doctor Who. I know. I know that about you. Specifically the Rebus <laughs> Operation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always the carrot, right? You could mention the Rebus yep. Operation. All right. I'll be there. Uh, Chip Sutter, thank you. Always a pleasure. Stephen Chapansky, thank you very much. And incidentally, a happy Christmas to all of you at home. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I used that as my sign off on the last episode. Reference acknowledged. <laughs> And I have been your host, Jason Snell. I did pick a Colin Baker episode and a Christopher Eccleston episode, so there. And I win. I declared myself the winner. That's not very nice. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I just qualify myself now. See? See what I did there? Shame on me. Anyway, thank you all for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.